Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, springtime seekers, and welcome to another cracking tech talk with Matthew Dickerson. In today's lineup, we have got some great news in uh, the way of finding sustainability with disposable batteries. We'll talk about some new jet ski fun for next time you're out on the open water, and we've got some great news for people who hate needles. But none of this happens without our Oracle into the future. Welcome, Matthew Dickerson. What have you been up to this week? I do like that springtime. It does sound nice, doesn't uh, it? We've only got a month to go. just got a little bit of a glow of, of sunshine this morning and yeah. I got my hopes up. It's nice, wasn't it? It is yeah. nice when you go. And even if the temperature's lower, it's that whole thing about the temperature and then feels like temperature. I forget about the, the real temperature. <laughs> feels like. That's what I'm after. Uh, but this week, we got a really nice email. Both you and I got a really nice email. We yeah. get feedback each and every week. The lots of things that come in and telling us about things that we got completely wrong and what we possibly know and giving us the right direction to go in next time around. Normally that's around climate change, but, <laughs> but I'll leave that alone for the moment because yeah. it just stirred another 10 emails up. <laughs> <laughs> and we get emails that just ask for extra information or give us a, a bit of feedback. So it's always nice to hear that. But we got a nice one this week. We did a story on internet gaming disorder, IGD, mm. and we talked about that and it is a real problem. There are people out there that have this real problem and there are people out there that you might suspect it's probably you and I as parents with our kids. Oh, Hold our parents, on, parents, yeah, be well, myself included. Yeah, yeah you, you're playing it too much, son. Get off the game. Is that just a child doing something that they're enjoying, well, or is yeah, that an obsession? What's normal, and what is just a little bit beyond normal? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we got an email that talked about this particular person had IGD, and I was a bit worried about the email at first because it started off talking about IGD and then our story and that it had triggered some of his memories, and I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good. It sounds mm. like you bring back some bad memories. But he did talk about his experience going through IGD. And how he'd come out of it. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I think what he liked about what we talked about was the fact that it was, again, exposing it, informing people, and that's, in my opinion anyway, part of our real objective of doing this podcast is to – give people information to make sure we, we research information, we make sure we get the correct information and we hopefully impart some knowledge to people out there and inform people. And that whole yeah. story about IGD hopefully makes people more aware of it, makes people more understanding and yeah. makes people see it when it happens a bit earlier. And that particular case, as you said, that particular person was in it, absolutely up to his eyeballs, in it, and then came out the other end and has now got a good job and yeah. their life's going well. Doing great. But again, maybe if someone had been more aware of IGD earlier on, they might have been able to steer him in the right direction a bit earlier, might have helped him out a bit earlier. But he just mm. saw that it was good for us to be talking about it and good for people to know in general about it. And it is real. That's the yeah. thing. It's not like I've just got a bit of an obsession with games and I just play them a bit and it takes over my life. No, this is a real obsession, just the same as we understand that alcoholics, Alcoholics Anonymous is out there because people become alcoholics and it takes over their life, or gambling is the same sort of thing. Those yeah, obsessions. Those addictive triggers there. Yeah. yeah. And you'd probably say that people that become obsessive about one part of their life could be obsessive about other parts of their life. So someone that might be involved in IGD or have IGD in their earlier years may be someone that you need to keep an eye on for gambling later on or yeah. alcoholic alcoholism later on in life so because I think those same obsessions follow through but anyway it feels good when people give us that feedback that we feel like we're actually making a difference in the world yeah it was fantastic mm. now onto something a little less uh, well uh, with a little less gravity about it who doesn't love a cuddly pet story do you know anyone who endows their pets with some sometimes ridiculous or at least questionable eccentricities people are allowed to love their pets I'm okay with that 
But at the risk of some non-PC racial profiling, the Japanese tend to take their love of pets and crank it right up to 11 as a rule. I hope I'm not treading on any toes there. So there can be no surprises from the land where high-tech is life that producing gadgets for pets is a license to print money. Matt, bring on the wearable fans for cats and dogs. Wearable fans for cats and dogs. What the, is next? For the, for the cat lover who, who's given their cat everything else. That's right. And a cat would demand this, I think. I think you'd know if yeah, your cat wanted one of those because right. cats tend to demand what they want. The dog's probably not so much. But this is something that because we've had so much heat in Tokyo, they're calling it a heat wave, mm. eight days above, wait for it, 35 degrees Celsius. Now, in parts of Australia, we go 35. Yeah. <laughs> what ifs? I scoff at that. <laughs> Minimum temperature, 35 maybe, not maximum temperature. But in Tokyo, probably not used to it. Probably a bit more humidity there as well. And for humans, they can go inside, turn the air conditioning on, maybe have a cool drink. But for dogs, how do you know if they're too hot or not? And maybe you want to go outside and exercise. Again, mm. you might realise that you're a bit hot. You might stop walking. But you've got your dog dragging along with you and they might get a bit hot. So this particular company, Sweet Mummy, or Sweet Mommy, has basically created a mesh vest that a dog can put on, or you can put it on the dog, that's got fans built into it. So you can keep your dog cool when you go for a walk. <laughs> it's designed for fairly small dogs, a chihuahua size style dog. It takes two AAA batteries, weighs 85 grams, so fairly light. That's including the battery, so fairly light. And those batteries will give you about three months of usage if you take your dog for, say, a 20-minute walk each day. It seems like a bit over the top. And I've got a question about it as well, because dogs don't sweat. No. And part of the reason why a fan cools us off is because that tiny little bit of sweat that we sweat gets evaporated off when you blow it away with a fan and we cool down. Whereas that fan would really need to be in the face around the tongue for the dog to pant it out and cool. That's right. And I was thinking the same thing because the dog releases its heat via its mouth, as you say, via panting. And so there's no sweat on there, but I just still thought maybe having more air going across the body might somehow cross this mesh vest that's holding down the rest of the hair. <laughs> that's right. But the other thing is that <laughs> we rely on that airflow because when you turn a fan on, it's just taking whatever temperature the air is around you and pulling that across. It's not cooling the air as such. And again, as you said, we rely on us to have a little bit of moisture on our skin yeah. for that to actually work, for that to cool us down. So whether or not it actually does anything Someone or needs not, to survey these dogs. Someone needs to do some research on this. Someone needs some good scientific research. But they're selling them at the moment. They sell for about 100 bucks, and they're already selling them. The downside is we can't do the research here because you can't order them in Australia yet. They're only being sold in Japan at this stage. If they sell enough, they'll probably start going worldwide. Surely it's not too hard to start shipping them worldwide. Put them on Amazon or something. Surely mm. it can't be that difficult. But at the moment, it's there. It's happening. I have no idea whether the science stacks up. I have mm. no idea whether it works or not, but it's there and people are coming up with different things all the time. I reckon um, yeah, there's, uh, we've opened up like a, a new avenue here. We could uh, maybe put a, a longer stem on it, bigger blades, and you could have a, have a helicopter dog, um, <laughs> that remote-controlled helicopter dog flying around Japan. That's right. And maybe the air's different temperature down <laughs> close to the ground because we're up a bit higher. Mm. We might be one and a half, two metres above the ground. So maybe the, the air's – I mean, it might be actually mm. – only thinking out loud as I, as I talk here, <laughs> but down right next to, say, some bitumen that's absorbed some heat from the mm. sun and then is radiating that heat back out, the temperature might be a few degrees hotter right down next to Chihuahua sort of level Get your dog height. hovering about two or three metres high. They're going to love it. That's right. And to test it out, you might need to lay down <laughs> on the ground next to your dog to see if it is hotter We've down there next to the ground. be careful. RSPCA is going to be on to us very soon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no dogs are harming this conversation. 
Time now for the sad tale of a young man who opened Pandora's box as a teenager and is now paying for it a decade later. Matt, this boy gave birth to somewhat of a demon, made some quick cash and is hopefully now rethinking his life choices to date. What are the details on this? He'll probably have some time in a little enclosed cell to Mm. rethink his life's choices. And going back to IGD, his parents may have just thought, he had a bit of IGD because he spent a fair bit of time in his room. around on his computer. Yeah. What are you doing, son? Just playing on the computer, just doing some coding. Oh, good. Coding will be needed as we go forward in life. Can't have too much coding. And what was and he, about 15 years old or whatever? 15. And he wrote some nice little spyware, some malware, and people were installing this in computers around the world. He, he had a good sales process, apart from the product. Ignore the product for a second. But he was selling it for about $35 a pop. He generated about $400,000. You know, not bad when you're 15. 15 you could probably use that kind of cash at 15. And he had customers in 128 countries. So in terms of if, if my child came to me and said, Dad, I've got this product I'm selling to 128 countries, I go, wow, wow. that's fantastic, son. Entrepreneur. Yeah, you've done a really good job there, making good money. What is it? Oh, there's a problem. And that was the problem. So it was malware. They've actually found that people had this malware on their computer, which allowed you to do some things like take over the webcam, do a keylogger so you could see mm. what people were typing, see passwords, pins, all that sort of thing that were being typed in. Mm. So the classic sort of spyware where you can basically track everything that people are doing, but they found it, they started seeing it turn up on computers of people that were in domestic violence situations. So you can imagine someone wants to keep an eye on their partner. Let's assume it's a male perpetrator and a female victim here, because it normally is. And so the male would install this particular spyware on the computer and then he could just look at everything that his female partner was up to when he wasn't mm. there, look at everything in terms of controlling bank accounts, control passwords Webcams. and all of, that, all of that sort yeah. of stuff. So. Not a great situation from that perspective. So that's where the police started seeing it turn up was in some of these DV situations. They started tracking it down. It was a worldwide collaboration with agencies, police agencies around the world to try and track it down. They would arrest people and think they've got to the top of the chain. No, it wasn't. They'd keep going further to find out where it came from. And finally, when they tracked it all down, it was this Aussie kid. Now, he's not 15 anymore. It's a few years ago that he started this. Mm. But he started all this and started making this kind of money when he was 15. Yeah, he's now mid-20s, I think. Yeah, yeah. 20, 24 years now. So it took them a, a fair while. He's been living the high life, as you can imagine. 400 grand in his back pocket at 15. What else can you do but spend that and have a good time? Not too many expenses in your life as a 15-year-old living at your parents' house. Yeah. Uh, but again, he's now going to have a few problems. Uh, 85 search warrants will executed across the world so before they finally got there. So you can see it's a pretty big operation. And when they finally got to the person, you can imagine a bit of their frustration that this kid, that was it. It wasn't some major ring out of some country that was famous for doing this. It was just some kid in his bedroom saying, I'll generate a few dollars. And what adolescent uh, out there in the world isn't unaccountable? Like they're just... um yeah, that, that's the nature of the beast. You just you don't consider the consequences uh, and the broader range of things when you've, your brain's doing that pruning as an adolescent becoming an adult. Yeah. Well, there's some really good research out there that shows the male brain in particular doesn't really get to the stage where it understands actions and consequences mm. till sort of early, mid-20s. And that's, there's some work being done around the world on trying to help those people at that age with car accidents because they get in a car and they drink or they get in a car and go too fast, not thinking that, oh, I could have an accident doing 120 kilometres down the main street and that might be bad for me and other people that are involved in that accident. It's just, hey, I'll go fast, that's cool, and that's about 
the extent of the thought process for those teenage brains that are still developing very slowly. Females are a bit better, they develop a bit earlier. But um, accountability catches up with you, huh? Yeah, that's right. You'd hope that other people in the house might have seen it. There's a, a woman, I don't know whether it's his mother, but they lived at the same address as this particular person, uh, 42 years of age, so you might guess might be the mum. And she's also being dealt with. She's going to be charged with dealing with the proceeds of crime. Now, uh, whether or not it was just he was in the household and bought mum a new TV, yeah. or whether mum said, get back in there, son, and keep selling a few more of those <laughs> because products because I want a new TV. Or a new car. Or a new car. That's right. Not sure exactly the story there, but unfortunately this sort of thing happens. But if you're going to do it, expect at some stage to have a, a nice little cell. You can call your own. Maybe you'll share it with someone. Who mm. knows? And you'll have that as your address for free for a few years. Goodness me. Needle phobia is real, people, and it played at least some part in the vaccination hesitancy, that was easy for me to say, hesitancy of the past two years. Now it's time to take a leaf out of the book of reformed smokers, folks. There is now some great news where a group of Aussie researchers have developed a patch to revolutionise how vaccines are developed. Oh, sorry, not developed, but delivered. I'm having a great time with this intro. Matt, I needed this back in the 70s when they used to give us that evil polio paste on a spoon with that extra blech, uh, you know, oral vaccination that we used to get. Some serious trust issues surrounding that one. <laughs> That's right. It was a bit unpleasant, wasn't it? But for people that have got trypanophobia, and we know from some of the stories we've done in the past, yeah. there are some people out there that we probably Real. triggered with trypanophobia. Getting that needle, exactly right. Some people weren't necessarily anti-vaxxers. They just couldn't bring themselves to see that needle. Mm. And I have heard about people who go in to have a needle for whatever reason, and they say to the doctor, let me just lay down on a couch here because yeah. I know I'm going to pass out. And they go, oh, surely not. It's just okay. No, let me lay down. because The anxiety is real and yeah, um, it's right. got to be managed. It's Look, um, getting my sons vaccinated, um, yeah, I, I had no idea that he was an Trypanophobe. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there, you, you know, we were talking about the needle and da da da, just as it was normal practice and everything was normal. And he, the colour just drained out of his head wow. more and more and more as we were talking about it. And um, he, we realised, oh, he's looking away now. He's not a great communicator. He's on the autistic spectrum, um, and so we were just sort of playing it all down. But yeah, we had there a situation on our hands before yeah. the end of it. And so, did he pass out when he no? Had the but he came close. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- if you know that, that's okay. You just say, just say. I'm going to lay down because yeah. I'm going to have a little sleep when you put that needle into me. So let's just do that rather than sitting up. And even sitting up, you think it's okay, but you fall off a chair sitting up, it probably hurts a little bit. So, yeah, anyway, what we've got now is patches. And in particular, they've been experimenting with these patches on mice at this stage, but they're finding that not only can it help you if you're a trypanophobe, which I'm not sure if mice can be classified as that. <laughs> so it can help you from that perspective, but it actually gives they're scared you... scared of everything. <laughs> that's right. I'd be scared if I was in an experimental lab as well, but they can give you the vaccine in a more effective way. And what they've found with the experiments on mice is that it's 11 times more effective, in particular against a range of variants of COVID-19. Yeah, right. So this seems to be the slow release, seems to be the trigger here. In other words, rather than just put, bang, needle goes in, it's all hit in one go, you'll leave the patch on for a few days. And so it's putting that in over a further period of time. So that effectively gives you better delivery of that. And it's a microarray patch they talk about. And so the microarray patches, as far as I understand, is basically almost like a whole bunch of little micro needles. So rather than one big needle that goes in, lots of little needles, spreads it out over a large surface area, spreads it out over that muscle that it goes into, releases it slower, and then is more effective. So again, for a couple of reasons, I can see this being big. 
mostly we're over COVID-19 vaccination at this stage, but if we're doing our job properly as humans, we should be vaccinating against the flu each year. Other things might come up around the world. We've effectively eliminated polio, but you still want to make sure you've got a vaccination against things like polio. So there's all sorts of needles we need in our life. If you can have patches to do them, I think that'll give better delivery for us. Mm. And of course, there's a microchip in it for government tracking. So that, I'm sorry, I've just opened a can of worms. <laughs> it makes it harder. <laughs> getting conspiracy that. theorists, can you please tune out? <laughs> That's right. It makes it harder getting that microchip through all those little micro needles. So, uh, but yeah, look, of course, that goes without saying, James, that you'll be tracked because of this. Isn't it interesting how technology evolves and how something designed for one purpose falls into obscurity until someone digs it out of the bottom of a box in a garage and says, hey, I know what we could use this for. Well, a stretchy, colour-changing material designed for holograms of all things has found its way into first aid kits as a futuristic bandage. Matt, this has got hints of hypercolour T-shirts about it. Yeah, I can see it being used for novelty factors as well. But Gabriel Lippmann, who won the... Nobel Prize for Physics in 1908, came up with this concept back in the 1890s. Sorry, this is a bit more than 100 years old, this yeah. idea. Right. It, was, it was a photographic technique that he came up with where basically they were putting photographs onto hard materials, glass, that type of thing. And so again, fascinating technology, won a Nobel Prize for it, yeah, it's not too bad, mm. but never really used from a commercial perspective. It sat there for, as you said, over 100 years. Then along comes someone named Benjamin Miller at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and him and his colleagues said, hey, that concept that Lippmann came up with all those years ago, we could apply that same concept to a stretchy material that then changes colour depending how much tension it's on. What a crazy idea. Lippmann never thought of that 100 years ago. Why yeah. didn't he think of that? But again, materials progress. And material science is huge. You've talked about it before. If your students say, where yeah. should I go, Mr. Eddie? They usually probably say, <laughs> say material, science. material science. Yeah, that's a Get great rich. way to go. So this whole concept is, for a couple of reasons, quite effective. You stretch the material out, you get to the colour that it needs to be for the right tension on the material. So, for example, you sprain your ankle. You get the bandage out of the first aid kit. You wrap it up. We're not experts at that. We do it once in a blue moon. We're not mm. nurses. We're not doctors. You probably put it on too tight. You notice your toes start to go blue. Better mm. change that. Too loose, not really doing anything. But you could look at the first aid kit and it says, wrapping this around your ankle, you need the colour of the bandage to be blue, mm. for example, to be the right amount of tension. You put it on, you pull it out until it's blue. That's great. Oh, hold on. It's now changing colour. Oh, maybe it's got a bit loose. I better rewrap my ankle. Oh, wow. Snake bite. Orange. Snake bite. There you go. That's right. So something different, you might have a different amount of tension that you need for that different parts of the body. Do your wrist compared to your ankle, it might be different amounts of tension you would need. Yeah, wow. So suddenly we can get the right tension in our bandaging techniques and then get the tension there. Now, again, this is the first instance of where they can see some commercial success with it. But exactly as you said, I can see people, hypercolour T-shirts, for example, Heat in the T-shirt, change the colour, wear a T-shirt, depending how buff you are, you might want to wear a T-shirt that's one or two sizes too small, and it would change colour around different parts of your body. If you've got particularly large pecs, maybe, or your shoulders, <laughs> or wherever, if you can flex your bicep to change the colour of your shirt, all these sort of things, I think, from a novelty perspective, are possible. Now, there's enormous pressure on tech companies these days, not only to please you with a quality product and to serve you well consistently, but... They also have to continually dazzle us with innovation or risk falling into obscurity. 
I don't know, Matt. Dell computers have seemed to work fairly neatly for me for a long time now, just doing what they do. But now, folks, wireless phone charging from your laptop could well be the gimmick that sways you on your next purchase. Matt? It's sometimes one of those things. The technology is already out there in a variety of formats. Put them together and you go... Cool, there's another innovation. And this is exactly what's happening here. (laughs) Peanut butter sandwiches are great. Banana sandwiches are great. What about a peanut butter and banana sandwich? Oh, you're making me hungry now. (laughs) But in this scenario, we all know about wireless charging with our phones. Most people use wireless charging in some way, shape or form. It's been around for a few years now and fairly well accepted. And we also have notebooks now with batteries that give us pretty good battery life. You can get through most of the time or most of the day you need to get through with a battery on a notebook these days or a a tablet or a notebook we're talking about. So when you take that and say, sometimes when you're out in the road, you might want to plug in your phone to your notebook just to keep it charged up. Well, that's a bit clumsy, isn't it? You've got to get a cable out of your bag and plug it into the port on the side and then plug it into your phone. Wouldn't it just make more sense to be wirelessly charged? We're just getting sick of cables. That's right. We are getting sick of cables. And it won't be that far away before we'll see phones that won't have any port on them whatsoever, in my opinion. Maybe not this year's round of phones, but probably within the next two years, I think we'll see someone come out with a phone that'll be completely portless and it'll be all done wirelessly. So in this scenario, Dell has said, you've got a bit of a spot there beside the trackpad, below the keypad. Why don't we just make that wireless charge? So you put your phone on the actual part next to your trackpad and keep using it. Now, I'm not sure how it goes with your hands typing over that. Yeah. It might I'm stick a Bluetooth a mouse on myself, so that space is available. Yeah, well, there you go. For rent. So, so, so you can rent it out to your phone <laughs> and have that. Now, let me just emphasise, you can't go to your friendly Dell store at the moment and buy one of these because at the moment it's only a patent application. Oh, okay. And you can look it up, 20220239124, patent application number. Do it, folks. Just look it in up. case you want to look it up. And that says that Dell's put an application for this concept of wireless charging on your notebook. They haven't had it approved yet. Once it gets approved, which presumably it will, then it'll be up to Dell to say, well, we've got that wrapped up now. Do we want to manufacture notebooks with this particular component? Now we've got the patent for it. Do we want to sell it to other manufacturers? Or do we want to forget about it and hope no one ever noticed? But again, the concept is there. Wireless Mm. charging on your notebook, why not? Makes sense to me. Yeah, and yeah, it's a... It's a gimmick, but it's a good one. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, I just find it amazing to think about where technology is going next with you know, devices and whatnot that we've got that do the job that we want them to do. Yeah. And then someone has got to think of an idea that is going to steer it in another direction to do another job. What I love is when you see an invention or some creation that gives you a need for something that you didn't know you had. Yeah. And the Walkman was probably one of those. The iPad, iPod was one of those definitely. And even smartphones. We didn't know that we needed to be able to pass wind Mm. in 32 different noises (laughs) with an app. But now what else would you have as your number one app but something that does that sort of noise? (laughs) And these are things. They do really revolutionise the industry when suddenly something comes along that you then cannot do without and can't believe you did without just a couple of years earlier. Exactly. If you haven't caught on yet, people, pretty much any machine that you can pour petrol into probably has a better version these days with a battery in it. So why would a jet ski be any different? Matt, just as a side, why is it that only people who like jet skis are the people riding them at that exact moment in time and everyone else kind of hates them? 
I think, I think it's because maybe, of the noise. The, the noise, yeah. Maybe if the they noise. weren't so noisy, perhaps. This is the same <laughs> company that's just released a an electric jet ski that released recently an electric snowmobile. And we did talk about that particular yeah. story where you can just imagine, I've read, never ridden a snowmobile, I don't spend a lot of time in the snow here in sunny Oz, <laughs> but you can just imagine being out in the pristine white forest and looking out at nature and going, isn't nature beautiful? And then you hear that noise coming through of a snowmobile. Mm. The same thing happens on water. I have ridden jet skis and I love jet skis. They're great fun. And one of the things I find with jet skis is that to try and keep them quieter is normally they have the exhaust, the muffler, under the water. So it's kind of being muffled twice, once Mm. by the muffler and once by the water itself. But when you're out there really giving it someone a jet ski and you're throwing it from side to side, the muffler tends to come out of the water a little bit. Or if you're jumping, it's a little wake that's been created by a boat or by your own jet ski. You'll go along and it'll be under the water, bubbling away, and then out it comes, and and then in and out. So it becomes... And people hate them. That's right. It's more annoying. It would be better if they just had the exhaust going out into the open air rather than coming in and out of the water. So very annoying. But a jet ski that's got an electric motor and an electric battery in there makes sense to me. Again, this is the same company that did snowmobiles, so they've modelled it on the same concept, and they've got some pretty good stats about them. It'll do 100 kilometres an hour. I reckon that's pretty hard if you hit the water at 100 kilometres an hour. I don't think I've been that fast on a jet ski. I reckon probably 60k, 60, maybe 70k's an hour. And if you fall off at that, the water hurts anyway. <laughs> 100 k's an hour, the water hurts even more. They've got a range of about 45 kilometres. And that's interesting because you don't normally get on a jet ski to go, oh, I'm on this island, I'll just yeah, go across I to that to, island. Yeah, it's not a, a uh, commuting uh, Not tool. really. Normally it's, I'm just going to have some fun here in the ocean or in the river or dam, wherever I am, and go around in circles for a while and go out and back and they use them for like Bondi Rescue and things like that. Um, yeah, at the beaches, they use um, the, the jet skis. But, yeah, um, and they'd probably rack up two or three kilometres in a session there, yeah. not 45 kilometres. So that seemed a fairly good range. But just as we found with cars, the whole concept of handling here is fantastic because the battery sits at the bottom of the jet ski, so it's got a very low centre of gravity. It's almost like a a heavy keel on a yacht where it's keeping it centred. And so when I read the the review of this particular machine from a reviewer, it talked about how well it handled because you throw it from side to side, but it's got that weight down low that wants to keep you coming back to being centred and standing upright, so it makes it handle much better. Very hard to make it fall over and fall off because it has got that low centre of gra- uh, centre of mass at the at the centre of gravity. Sorry, so that all sounds fantastic. Uh, you know, I just can't see what could go wrong with it. They're probably a bit dearer than normal, but even the sound wise, most normal jet skis are up around 90, 95 dB. The sound on this going flat out across the water is about 72 dB. So dramatically different in terms of the sound of it there. So it sounds like good fun to me. Yeah. Once they get that price down, probably, and you talk about, in this is in US dollars, you're getting up around 15, 18 grand for the base models, up to maybe 28 grand to the higher-end models, and the higher-end models are just more performance, a bit faster. So you're spending a fair bit, although jet skis aren't that cheap. Normal petrol-driven jet skis aren't that cheap either. Well, I wonder how many jet ski enthusiasts are out there buying them because they love the throaty sound of the petrol engine. Uh, it's a bit different to the Harley lovers that, that love that throaty, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> those sorts of enthusiasts, yeah, and the motor enthusiasts that you see around the place, um, they love that sound of the car engine or whatever. Uh, it's a bit harder to love that sound of a jet ski. Jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> no excuses, folks. No, that's right. Battery powered jet skis are on the way. Yeah, only this is only in Canada at the moment, but. Once it happens somewhere in the world, yeah. there'll be other companies that'll jump all over it, or they'll start exporting. There's no right hand, left hand drive problem to worry about with jet skis. 
Now, we all know that the big stain on the technology revolution is that, for the better part, we still don't know what to do with our spent batteries. For most of us, out of sight, out of mind, is the best we have to offer this environmental challenge. We need science to come up with a better idea. Well, how about a printed paper battery, folks? With a voltage comparable to your standard 1.5 volt EverReady or Duracell, Matt, batteries made of paper. What craziness are you talking about, James? What craziness <laughs> I'm talking about is this? the future. <laughs> so researchers took a strip of paper, they immersed it in salt water, then they printed ink containing graphite flakes on one side, and then on the other side they printed some ink infused with zinc powder. So for those of you who don't know about you know, uh, electric cell uh, chemistry there, you just need two different conductors with different uh, potentials and a salt bridge between them, and you've got yourself a battery. Correct. Now, the great part about that is when you make that battery, you print it, it's done, you sit it there and don't let it get wet, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't discharge. It can sit there on the shelf for days, weeks, months, years, provided it doesn't get wet. Mm. To activate the battery, you wet it, and away you go, and you've (laughs) now got a battery. So at the end of it all, when you've used it, it doesn't have a lot of battery life, in terms of what you might use it for, it might be things that you need a fairly short battery life. And we talk about button batteries, we talk about AAA batteries. Sure, AAA batteries have got a reasonable battery life. But in terms of things that you might put on, and I'm imagining here, for example, we talked last week about an ultrasound that you might stick on you. Now, that ultrasound would probably have some sort of little tiny battery, maybe a button battery that's on you that you use. Better than that, wouldn't it be better to have a little paper battery? So it's not going to be bad for the mm-hmm. environment. And it doesn't need to work for weeks or months like a button battery might work for it might work for a couple of days because that's all you need it for and that's i think where you've got the real potential for this you've got potential for things that aren't needed for long term print a paper battery just put a bit of water on it and away you go job done and it's just graphite and a bit of zinc would you say zinc oxide Uh, zinc oxide on one side uh, Mm. graphite flakes on the other side and that's it and away you go it just seems incredible now still at the very early stage They've developed it. This is in a Swiss federal laboratory. They've developed it. They've got it working, but not in mass production yet. And I think that's where you'll see how effective it is once you can get to that stage where you've got mass production of it. Mm. Again, this stage is still being tested. How much can you get out of it? What sort of battery life can you get compared to, say, a button battery? But these things will be solved and they'll be refined and they'll be made better. And then you'll have that. Now, you can handle it with your hand so it's safe. It's not as if the amount of sweat on your hands is going to activate it. You need a little bit more water than that. The only downside would be if you wanted to keep it somewhere that was in a very humid environment, maybe it would get too wet and then it would drain. But generally, if you put it in a sealed container, that will last forever is a long time, but for a long time. Yeah. Ultrasound is a medical diagnostic tech where we can see your innards, take measurements of your organs and tissues and how they're functioning with no negative effects. All due to high ultra, sorry, I say ultra high frequency sound. The costs are relatively cheap as a diagnostic tool. They're good for looking at soft tissue and blood flow without puncturing your skin. The only drawback is the inconvenience of having to lie down on a bed for half an hour while you get some somewhat forcibly painted KY gel put all over your torso. But enough of my hobbies. Matt, there are new ultrasound stickers that you were just talking about that you can wear that will carry out imaging for 48 hours, which is an amazing thing. 
I got a bit ahead of myself, didn't I? I, did. I had I had in my mind that we already talked about ultrasound stickers <laughs> for some reason. I remember researching them and looking at them, but this sounds fantastic. Most people have seen the results of an ultrasound. Anyone that's had a partner or had themselves have a baby, obviously they've had that ultrasound there and you get a little black and white vague image and they tell you that it's a baby there and you I look at it. I could never see the PP. <laughs> well, no, I could. I could say, look at that. It's obviously a boy. And they go, that's the femur, the, the leg you're looking at there, not any other part of the body. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's something that people are generally familiar with. And you have ultrasounds for other parts of the body. It's been proven to be incredibly safe over the years. But as you say, you've got to go and sit down, lay down on a machine or next to a machine and have that whole process done with that pleasant cold gel that they put on yeah, yeah. but I've had a couple of done on my chest right. and just the, the painting with that gel and the clean up afterwards that's right very messy here's a bit of paper towel for you to clean yourself up sir <laughs> so it feels something <laughs> personal so that's all fine so we're pretty advanced with that but one of the things one of the failures of ultrasound is it's all well and good to check things while you're laying there but what about when you get up and walk around so let's say you just had heart mm. surgery has it been effective? Is your heart working properly? Well, laying down here in a completely restful state looks perfect. But mm. what about climbing a set of stairs? What about going for a brisk walk? Is it all okay then? And that's where you'll see these little ultrasound stickers used for things like that. Doctor finishes, here you go, sir. Let's stick that ultrasound on your chest over your heart. And that will feed those images to your phone for the next 48 hours. We can then upload them. We can be uploaded to the cloud. We can upload them ourselves and look at them. And essentially, we can get that picture of your heart and what it's doing continually for the next 48 hours. Or it mm. might be live, real-time monitoring, for example. Mm. People could be sent home from hospital earlier. We know you're okay, but we should keep monitoring you for a couple of days. Hold on. We'll stick a sticker on you. We'll keep monitoring you for a couple of days. And we'll get that information being fed back to us live, real-time. At the moment, they've only got the ability to run these by being connected to cables and a battery, a separate device, if you like. But they're working to the point where that ultrasound sticker will be fully self-contained. And the story that we just did about paper batteries paper battery, might yeah. be the way they do that to make it very small. They've also got to get the ability to use something like Bluetooth, some very low-power transmission technique. And I imagine that what will happen is you put an app on your phone, the doctor will set it up, here's this device paired to the app on your phone, It'll go to there, it'll upload all that information straight to the cloud, and then the doctor will be able to download that information and look at that information again, either live or retrospectively afterwards and see that everything's going along okay. Athletes could use it to see what happens when they're exercising, mm. put it on muscles, put it on various parts of their body. Dietitians could use it in stomachs to see what's happening in the stomach when you're eating food. Are there different ways that different people process the same food that might make you more aligned to certain food types to make your diet better or make you absorb that better. Who mm. knows? Once we start looking inside the body very cheaply and in a convenient way, giving longer term results, the world is at the fingertips of researchers. We probably should also qualify that um, no sonographer's jobs are in jeopardy here, that there is still always going to be a place for sonography, that, um, th yeah, as I understand it, um, there's a real art to it. And so the more experience you get in doing your sonography, because um, when I look at one of these um, you know, ultrasound images, I'm looking at the what the hell is that all about? Yeah. Obviously, a medical professional can tell a lot, uh, uh, but yet when you get talking to someone who's doing sonography, they they talk, you know, they can tell you all about how you know there's, there's a lot of um, a lot of seeking that you've got to do to find the stuff. But yeah. I can imagine that um, the, for the details that you need to get from these little stickers, these ultrasound stickers, I think there's a bit of uh, there's definitely a lot of potential for those. Well, I actually think there's probably 
an opportunity for more jobs because if we've got more information being fed back, you still need someone, maybe not squirting some gel on, but someone to read mm. the results, interpret the results. And you're right, whenever I've seen someone go along and look at the ultrasound and they click here and click there and say, there you go, the, the length of the baby's this long or mm. this is what it's looking like on this side and it's, this all It's fantastic. about getting the angles right as well. You've got to get all just that. the right angles. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. I can imagine that there'll be a huge demand. If more people are generating ultrasound images, you're going to need more people to read them. Maybe you're just going to a chemist and buy one of these at some stage in the future and you stick it on and check it out yourself. But if you see something that you're not sure about, you want someone that actually knows what they're doing, might have studied it, for example, or for a few years to really get some proper interpretation. And unlikely to have government microchips to track your every movement. Uh, they are. Of course they are, James. They've the got to have that. The of my bowels or my heart rate and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Surely that's what the government wants to know. I, I can see the, the Ministry for Bowel Movement sitting there going, oh, James, he went at 7.30 today. Yesterday it was 7. What's going on out there? Let's go and check him out. The current rate of production of new houses in urban Australia is remarkable. Ask anyone who lives in a regional centre like Dubbo, Tamworth, Bathurst or Wagga and they'll point to entire neighbourhoods and tell you, well, that wasn't there last year. Quick setting concrete has improved time frames markedly, but for the better part where we might have waited six weeks for a slab to cure 20 years ago, seven days is most common in 2022. But get this, Matt, a new generation of quick-set concrete has builders pouring at one end of the slab while the carpenters are moving in to work on their magic uh, at the other end. Sounds too good to be true, James. It's uh, crazy fast. Now, I know we often see these emails come through with superfoods that say, this food will burn more calories in the consumption or the metabolic processing of this food than the amount of calories that are in there. So buy this food and eat it and you will lose weight. And obviously they're usually trying to sell you that particular food. And the bad news is there's no such thing as a superfood. But I think we've got something here that's a super material. And graphene is that super material. So graphene was first theorized and discussed back in about 1859, so a long time oh, ago. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't until 2004 that some researchers at the University of Manchester came up with the ability to actually extract graphene mm. and really have some practical uses for it. They won a Nobel Prize in 2010 for the work It's they just did. a structure of carbon, right? So it is. Yeah, the way the carbon's designed to stick together. That's right. And what they did when they found this in 2004 was they used common old sticky tape. So they took graphite and they found by putting sticky tape on graphite, they could pull off a number of layers. And then they put sticky tape on that graphite and they pull off a few more layers. Because what you're trying to get to is almost a two-dimensional layer. Now, I know it's still got to have a third dimension, but essentially it's a sheet yeah. of graphene or a sheet of graphite that becomes graphene. So they won a Nobel Prize on that. Now, the cool part about that is it was the PhD student and his professor that was overseeing his project that won that Nobel Prize together. So the student was fairly young. He was, in fact, I think the youngest Nobel Peace Prize winner in physics since 1972 yeah. and he was doing it as a student so that's not bad kind oh. of where's the rest of your career go well <laughs> I've just finished my PhD I've got a Nobel Prize for physics so gee where's the upside where do I go next what's the next thing to do but again that was when things started to kick off but we're still talking about 2010 now Nobel Prize fantastic what's this graphene what are the commercial uses for it 
and they were still struggling to both produce commercial quantities of graphene and find what you might do with it in terms of making things better. If you even go back to 2012, the worldwide market for sales of graphene was about US $9 million. So not much in the whole mm. scheme of things in terms of a worldwide market. The market last year was $1.1 billion. By 2028, they say that the market for graphene will be $8 billion. Wow. Now, what can you use it for? That's the exciting part. What, yeah, yeah. what can we do it for? The, the concrete you mentioned, you put 0.1% graphene in a concrete mix. Suddenly, you can get 30% extra strength, so you can use 30% less concrete. Yeah, it wow. actually helped climate change because you're using less concrete in a mix. So that's pretty cool. You can do that. You can also, not in all circumstances, but in tests they've done so far, you can take out the steel reinforcement. So the Rio bars that you always see put down before they put some concrete in, lay a slab, whatever it might be. Now, those Rio bars are to help with that tensile strength of concrete because obviously concrete's great for compression strength but not so great for tensile strength. But by putting graphene in, suddenly you're getting some of that tensile strength in concrete as well. Oh, wow. Now, talk about Rio bars. That can lead to some rust in the concrete or at least lead to some concrete cancer. If you don't have them in there, suddenly you've got longer durability out of your concrete. And then the component you mentioned, the quick set, there was an example where they were laying a roller disco floor. I didn't know roller discos were still a thing, but this is this is over in England. <laughs> they are. Apparently they are, and new and, roller and, disco and floors. Granted, uh, it's a big slab of concrete, but yeah. we're still not we're not waiting seven days for it to set. And exactly as you said, they were laying some concrete using this this concrete that's got 0.1% of graphene in it, laying the concrete, and as they were doing it. They were still laying it kind of halfway across the rink when they were polishing the concrete at the very beginning of it. So it had set that fast that they're still doing it essentially on the same day. So that's pretty cool. So concrete is one area definitely you'll see this being used. Fords, their F-150s, and this is the old petrol version, not their new Lightning version, but the F-150s, they've got 12 components in the engine bay that use graphene. Now, they started off thinking, well, if we use graphene in some parts of our engine bay, we can reduce the weight of the car. Now, it seems like you're probably not going to reduce it by much. And sure, they reduced the weight of the car by less than a kilogram, but when they did the testing with it, they found that graphene mixed with some components suddenly made the heat qualities or the heat protection qualities of that material dramatically better. So they can then use that around different engine components. They found the noise absorption properties were much better. So they found that maybe you could reduce the noise that got through from that particular component of the engine by 12 to up to 25% by using graphene, small amounts of graphene in some of these. This is going to be a super material. It is. So Absolutely. It's gained as much as I hate when people go a super something, a super food, for example. But this is a case where graphene is really going to be a super material. And it's just an arrangement of carbon atoms. It's the thinnest and strongest material known to science. And it conducts electricity better than copper. So it's got some interesting qualities there. Mm. So then you start talking about, well, what else can we do with it? Put graphene in paint and they're finding that just by using that mixture in there, you paint something with it, you get better protection to that, less likely to have any corrosion because it's protecting what's underneath it so much better. It keeps water out, it keeps corrosion out, so that's all obviously fantastic. You then get to smartphone screens. You've got two smartphone screens are cracked every second in the US. <laughs> it's a big industry, and maybe people... Someone's going around smashing smartphone screens. <laughs> You've seen that way. Carrying a hammer, just being a menace. And maybe 
the smartphone repairers don't want to hear this, but smartphone screens have been started to be made, not any commercial ones available now, but in terms of the testing in the laboratory, with graphene mixed in. So that gives you a harder screen, but it gets better than that. One manufacturer has got not a foldable screen, but a bendable screen mm. with graphene mixed in. And again, very tough, very hard to break that, but it's actually bendable. So I saw one ex- <laughs> example where a phone basically just wrapped around your wrist and that was your phone. Then you unfold it to use it and away you go. That's some Star Trek right there. Absolutely. And then you talk about planes. Now planes, the modern planes, the modern hip fantastic planes are made with lots of carbon fibre in there. We want in a plane something that's strong and light. Yeah, I like the idea of strong because I don't want to really have the plane fall apart when I'm up in the air. But <laughs> that's the ideal. <laughs> that's exactly right. But the manufacturers want it light because you've got to take all that weight, wherever that weight is, and you've got to put it up in the air. And that takes some energy to do that, which means you're burning some fuel or in the future maybe doing something with hydrogen or electric batteries, but it takes energy to get it up in the air. You make it lighter, that's obviously better. So they're now talking about using graphene to make stronger materials Lighter materials, so the plane's strong, happy days for me, I'm safe when it lands, and lighter, happy days for the manufacturers or the, the airlines because they can use less fuel to get it up in the air. So all sorts of things. Kevlar, they're saying that this performs twice as well as Kevlar, withstands 10 times the amount of kinetic energy that a steel, exactly the same steel product could. So start to use this in body armour. Now, wow. hopefully... Our listeners never need to use body armour, but if you did, you'd want it in the best possible material you could Graphene mixed in with that sounds fantastic. Photovoltaic cells, they're using it in that. Faster charging, higher energy density batteries, filters in water filtration systems, invisibility cloaks. Okay, I've gone too far. <laughs> but all the other things, absolutely We're getting right. getting some superhero stuff here. Yeah? That's right. It's a yeah, super wow. material. Surely we're going to have superhero stuff. But these are all things that we'll see out of using graphene in these materials. So it is a super material. We're going to see huge uses of it now that we've got the ability to extract it in commercial quantities, uh, quantities, I'm sure there's not people there with a bunch of sticky tape going, right, I've got another grain of it, let's use it. <laughs> They've got better ways of extracting it now. But graphene, have a look at it. It is an absolutely fantastic material and something that I think has been crying out for. We, we need this sort of stuff with sort of the modern materials that we've got in the world. We need this sort of wonder material yeah. to make them even better. And the ideas are only limited by people's imagination. Oh, I think that's right. Once you start mixing graphene, one of the things they're really trying to work on at the moment is plastic. Imagine having a plastic and maybe just even a plastic in a car, for example, that's used for internal components in a car that was incredibly strong and light as plastic is. They haven't been able to get it right yet in plastic because what you need with the graphene is an even mixture throughout the graphene. And the way right. they've been mixing the plastic, they haven't been able to get an even mixture throughout. But they're working on that. So we'll see lots of other things pop up, I think, with graphene. Watch this space. Mm. And so we take the checkered flag on another sterling tech talk. I think everyone's a winner today, Matt. I think so. I think the the weather, the weather is a winner. Because now you've talked about spring, I've been thinking about the whole time we've been chatting about getting out that nice warm sun. Well, I was going to say, yeah, everyone's a winner except for maybe that guy who created that stalking software. Yeah, yeah. Sucks to be him. Thanks for another cracking episode. I'm off to get me one of those newfangled jet skis. Maybe I'll head down to the banks of the mighty Macquarie and wait for the uh, floodwaters to drop a little bit before I create some killer wash, (laughs) albeit very quietly. I'm James Eddy. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to catching you once again in another week's time.